Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations, iTunes or YouTube. We appreciate it and like it that you are here with us. This uh, segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com. This is an interesting site where you can do investment analysis and share with colleagues online. Check it out at GetValuate.com. And today we're going to talk about a sector and a segment of commercial real estate that seems to have a growing interest, and that is self-storage. A lot of people from REITs down to individuals and everyone in between has become more involved in and interested in self-storage. That's what we're going to talk about today. Please welcome my guest, David Westbrooks. He's president of Georgia Mountain Storage, and he's here in Studio One. David, thanks for being with us. Hey, excited to be here. We also have Graham Hill here with us. He's president of the National Self-Storage Group with Bull Realty. Graham, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So, gentlemen, how are you finding the market today for self-storage? It seems like uh, a lot of people are interested in the sector. Very hot, very popular right now. Yeah. So, a lot of people want in, huh? They want in. It's like a gold rush. <laughs> gold rush. Does that give you any concerns? It does for me. In some areas of town, uh, the possibility of being overbuilt, like people rushing in, building too fast, and maybe creating too much supply. Yeah. And Graham, what do you see in the in the market? Is this a buyer's market or a seller's market? Or? Well, it's really a seller's market, but yeah. there's many, many more buyers than there are sellers. Yeah. It's like you people are very hesitant to let go of the yeah. self-storage facility. I mean, yeah. there's, there's circumstances like the death in the family or for whatever reason, properties do come up on the market, but it's mm. You, you've got to pry them out of their hands now. <laughs> Not really to part with them. Well, let's talk about some of the values that you're seeing today. Um, so let's first talk about some of the more institutional, high-quality, larger types of properties. If uh, a buyer comes to you for one of those today, uh, what are they going to have to pay cap rate-wise? Well, if it's right downtown or right at you know, the double-A spot, you're, it can be in the fours. It's, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, the, 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 pr the price of money that the big REITs can get, or the cost of money, is mm -hmm. really changed the game. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's rolled down to where a lot of the smaller players have the same high expectations, which are unrealistic. You get me a four cap rate for my 20-year-old property? <laughs> right, yeah, and it's, you know, it's like an eight. <laughs> so if I have a uh, new facility, it's in a great uh, A location, and I'm, uh, and I'm starting, I've built it, and I'm starting to fill it up, and say I'm halfway uh, full now, and I'm not. I'm not really uh, at capacity yet. Could you sell it for me now? I could sell it for you the day you get your certificate of wow. occupancy, okay. and uh, you break statistically. You break even when you're 46 percent full. Okay. So it used to take like two to three years to fill something up. Good. People get to break even what 12 months, you know, mm -hmm. even less. It's, it's amazing. Okay, so you're talking four to five percent range for these institutional quality properties but what about a property that's maybe 10 or 20 years old and maybe it's out in suburbia somewhere what kind of cap rate ranges you see for that it depends exactly on the on, on, on the property but sure. you're looking between uh, mid mid to low sevens to, to eight eight and a half to, mm -hmm. depending on where it is I mean if it needs new roofs new doors and you, yeah. you've got some immediate work to do straight away that's going to be affect the price. But if there's two acres of land that come with the deal, that's also another good thing. If it's in an incredibly quick growing or fast growing community, and the highest and best use is going to change within five or six years, that 
it, there's a lot of factors that yeah. can affect the value. Yeah, yeah. He That's sold one of our properties in Norcross for 6.4 percent. That's okay. what it came in. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a pretty strong cap rate for for a property. What size range was that? It was a mid-sized property. Yeah. Yeah. And it was what, 15 years old or 20 years old? Yeah, about that. And it had uh, about 45,000 square feet. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that our viewers and listeners can can get into investing in self storage, and one of them is is through the REITs. And uh, but it's not really a REIT driven market. There's a lot of mom and pops, a lot of small operators, but uh, uh, the REITs have been really growing, haven't they, Graham? Well, the REITs represent approximately 10% of the marketplace, but there's a, that's the publicly traded REITs. Then there's a, a large section of private REITs, too, that, that's growing very quickly. But it's, it's well over 60% uh, single story, single unit owners or that own one or two. Yeah. So, but what's happening with the private REITs, they're moving down. They're moving, They've run out of places to find in in the primary spots, so they're moving more and more into the secondary markets, mm -hmm. wanting to b find places where they can expand it and convert it. So it's uh, you know their their economies of scale that they bring to the party that mum and pop don't have. Mm -hmm. They can they can still make it work for them as they yeah. get further and further out to the suburbs. I see. And then you talked about maybe some concern for new supply. So what are some of the demographics that? that some of these larger players maybe building a new facility are, are looking for? Well, if they're looking in town, they're, they're wanting oh, at least 50,000 people within five miles or actually more like 30 to 40 within three miles because the, the denser the area, the better because the, you know, the cost of building as they go up multi-level as, as such. Um, they want a lot of people. At least 20,000 cars per day or maybe even more or passing traffic and great visibility is a key, key yeah. factor. But David, you've done well some properties that have kind of been in uh, suburban areas, right, that didn't have those kind of demographics? Correct. Uh, we, we started out in Alpharetta and, mm -hmm. and Peachtree Corners area and we did a couple of Section 1031 exchanges by mm -hmm. selling properties through Graham and Bull Realty. Mm -hmm. uh, we did those, rolled the money over into some outlying areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, to, so what are some tips for our viewers and listeners, guys, if uh, they've not been in self-storage, they want to get started, they want to get going into the industry, so it's kind of hard to, to find a property. Uh, should they join the associations and maybe start learning a, a, a good bit about it and then maybe build a relationship with a, with a broker like you that kind of focuses on the industry? Definitely, I think they should do both. The, okay. Georgia has a great self-storage association mm -hmm. that that I've found to be a tremendous And that's part of the resource. National Association, right? It yes. Is. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're, they're all individual affiliates of, of the national deal. I'm not okay. sure exactly what the structure is, but mm -hmm. this is a way. I mean, I'm, both of us have benefited immensely from contacts and people that we've met through there. Mm -hmm. They had a big meeting yesterday. I met three or four people there that were there for the first time. With their primary interest being to find out more and get to meet people in the industry because yeah. there's everything from builders to vendors to suppliers to legal advice lenders you know yeah it, it, it's a great spot to start yeah. yeah and we'll have a link to the national association so you can check them out on the show website at commercialrealestateshow.com now you mentioned financing so what type of financing are you seeing on some of these projects that uh, you've closed on dave I've been able to get 90% uh, financing wow. with the SBA. Nice. So we, we formed some strategic alliances with the SBA and we've been able to get it done. That's nice. So yeah. what kind of uh, interest rates and things? 
Uh, we, we were in the 4% range. Uh, the interest rates are rising right now, but mm -hmm. we, we started out and had several in the 4% range. Yeah. Pretty good. That's interesting. As far as underwriting, do uh, are lenders pretty uh, happy about the self-storage industry? Pretty excited about the, it. At one time, they were not. When the economy crashed around 2007, they were getting kind of leery of it, but they've warmed up to it, um, particularly uh, moving forward. They, they want to see that you have experience, and once you have that experience, they're willing to to go with you. Plus, it's you know it's becoming more and more popular. I think occupancy rates now are, you know, well above eighty percent at most places. Yeah, and so what do you expect moving forward, you guys? I mean, you talk about new supply. Uh, it seems like the economy is robust. Uh, jobs have been growing in most markets. What do you expect moving forward for self storage performance? I think it's still a growing. A growing category. I don't think it's going to grow quite as quickly. It's going to sort of level off a little bit and, and sort of seek its own level, but then continue to grow as population grows. I mean, Atlanta had some ungodly a number of people moving here every every week. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, when we first started working together, David's SBA loan on his first building that they wanted. 25 percent down. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the next time it was 20 percent, and yeah. then as he got better and better at it, now it's 10. You know, yeah. So, it's uh, that's been very helpful for him. But um, I, I, I have every confidence in the self-storage industry. I think yeah. it's 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 here to stay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's excellent. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the legal issues, some of the concerns that some of the industry people have about self-storage. Give you some tips for operations. And if you will, comment, connect with us on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn. You can find all of our social media contacts at commercialrealestateshow.com. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Build Out, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit BuildOut.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by Real Crowd. If you'd like to do crowdfunding for commercial real estate, visit realcrowd.com. Well, today we're talking about self-storage, and you know, I think self-storage is a very interesting topic for a lot of people. You think about the investment in self-storage, um, you don't have a lot of people in the space. <laughs> Some people really like it. But there's always issues in development and operations, so we're going to get into that in this segment. Please welcome my guest, Scott Zucker. He is a partner with Weissman Zucker. He's also Deputy General Counsel of the National Self-Storage Association. He's here in Studio One. Scott, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. Well, Scott, as I mentioned in the, in the uh, 
to start here today. There, there's always some issues with operations and development that are concerning people around the country. And one of those things is, hey, we want to build these, and some, are, some people in some of these jurisdictions are saying, not in my backyard, right? Yeah, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, I guess the philosophy is they really don't understand the business and the service that it provides to the consumers in the area, both individuals and to businesses. I mean, we see a lot of success in the areas where self-storage has developed and a lot of success both for the operators and developers as well as for the consumers around the area. But they see a lot of them and they consider that to be a proliferation of self-storage facilities in the area and they don't want it anymore. And uh, so we're starting to see these moratoriums and they're popping up around the country. We don't think there's just cause for it. We don't think it's, it's fair. It's certainly in, in our position, it's not legal based on equal protection defenses. Uh, self-storage is being treated differently than other business types. I mean, I've seen moratoriums where they'll allow strip clubs, but they won't allow self-storage <laughs> facilities. It just is crazy, and it's just sort of a, uh, sort of a natural reaction to seeing them pop up. Yeah. But let me tell you, they're filling up, they provide a need and a service, and um, it, it's a little unfair. So we're trying yeah. to battle back around the country where we see these moratoriums. Well, it's interesting because I think some people think of uh, the little uh, ugly buildings with the orange doors, but some of these uh, developments are really quite attractive. They are. They are. They're beautiful. They're climate controlled, multi-story. They provide other services. We see you know, conference rooms and meeting spaces. We see other services being provided to the folks in the area. You know, mailboxes, uh, eBay type services. They really try to provide a full service to their customers in the area. They're not bad. I mean, they're, they are very nice. Some of them in terms of the aesthetics, aesthetics from the outside are beautiful. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I think all real estate people are concerned with uh, is ADA compliance. And, you know, and is self-storage, is that something that self-storage people have to even be conscious of or think about? Well, I mean, look, it's a federal law. The Americans with Disabilities Act applies to self-storage properties. They're uh, public accommodations. We invite our customers in to use the property. They have to be accessible mm -hmm. to the ADA. But what's interesting is the fact that uh, there are now some governing laws under the ADA that apply specifically to self-storage, dealing with the roll-up doors and issues of access into the storage units themselves. Um, so it's something that operators need to be aware of. It's something that the consumer who uses the property need to understand that they have certain rights with regard to the properties as well. But I know that operators are working to make their properties as accessible as possible and provide services for people that have any disabilities to be able to use their spaces. So everyone's trying to work together, but operators certainly need to know about the ADA laws and how they apply to their businesses. Yeah. And also, uh, you were telling me earlier, and this kind of surprised me, if you could tell our listeners and viewers about this, even with your website. Yeah, well, so we've seen some recent cases, and uh, folks that are in the retail business know this best, that folks that are using their online web portals for purchasing, and we do this for self-storage, you do online rentals, online payments, so your website needs to also be accessible to the disabled in terms of governing guidelines of, of accessibility, even for websites. So there's a recent case out of uh, uh, California, I believe, with a, a claim that someone that was disabled did not was not able to use the website for the purpose intended for purchasing something. And the courts found that that had merit, even though there's not any true federal guidelines as to what these websites should have. Wow. I hate to say it, it's tough to operate a business these days. You yeah. have federal and state laws you have to, yeah. you have to follow. So what are the, some of the things uh, in a website that would make it a problem? 
Well, look, a lot of folks have uh, videos on their websites to show the ease of their business. Those now have to have closed captions if there's any statements made concerning the videos. Uh -huh. uh, they have to be careful that their, uh, their colors are appropriate, not too bright, not too flashy, not, not something that would annoy somebody. <laughs> their font size is large enough for someone who has difficulty with, with reading. Um, so they have to take these issues into account. And there are some guidelines uh, that provide sort of directions for developers to follow for accessibility. And they just have to go back and look at these guidelines and make sure they're following them. That's the best defense to those website claims. Yeah, it's be aware of them and uh, head them off at the pass. Head them off right? at the pass, absolutely. So what are you seeing as far as uh, lawsuits and what are some other kind of legal issues that uh, owners and developers of, of these self-storage centers should be concerned about today or, or know about? Well, I mean, we see so many different actions coming up because self-storage is a business like any other business. I mean, you, you try to satisfy your customers. There will be tenants that are unhappy about things that happen at self-storage facilities. One thing that's unique about self-storage, and we've talked about it in the past, is that if someone doesn't pay their bill, these state laws that are throughout the United States allow the operator to sell their property at public auction without going to court. And yeah, we've seen the shows, yeah. right, where they're doing that. Yeah, so storage wars and things like that, you yeah. see that this can happen. And a lot of actions are brought by tenants who are very unhappy that their property's been sold, even though they didn't pay the bill. Right. So uh, we see lawsuits claiming wrongful sales or improper action. We all see, also see lawsuits in the class action context of the plaintiff's bar who provides backing for consumer groups claiming that that concept of self-help foreclosure is unconstitutional, wrong, unfair uh, to these consumers and these businesses. So they've brought some class action lawsuits around the country concerning some of those issues. And those are pending out there and, and we think we can succeed on those, but, but operators need to recognize that there's some laws in the favor of the consumer that they need to be aware of. How big are those suits? How many people are involved? Unfortunately with class actions uh, and the uniqueness of self-storage tenants where you have multiple tenants signing similar contracts, they fall into a class of similarity and you can go back a number of years under the statute of limitations, four to six years. So you could have classes that are over 100,000 tenants as part of that class. And, that's, yeah. and if you calculate then the number of dollar damages per tenant, you see claims in the millions of dollars. And that, that's certainly a wake-up call for a lot of operators. Yeah. Well, I have some more questions for you. Since you're Deputy General Counsel of the National Self-Storage Association, I want to get some more information for our viewers and listeners. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Hi, this is Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the $1 to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential terms because it's all driven by technology. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. That's GetYourPlumLoan.com. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit RealCrowd.com. Choose between Core, Core Plus, Value Add, or Opportunistic. Visit RealCrowd.com.
Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The segments are brought to you by Plum Lending. If you'd like to get a commercial loan online, check it out. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. Today we're talking about self-storage. My guest is Scott Zucker. He's a partner with Wiseman Zucker. He's also Deputy General Counsel for the National Self-Storage Association. And Scott, we were talking in a previous segment about some of the legal issues that operators and managers should be aware of. Uh, but there's some more things, that uh, some lessons learned, some things to consider, right? Yeah, well, I, I would tell you that as we see these cases brought against operators, the, the number one uh, best prevention to, to help on a lot of these cases is the lease agreement. And we certainly urge our operators to go back and update and revise their lease agreement based upon the current state law and based upon lessons learned from some of these other cases. And the number one topic these days in response to a lot of these class actions is to put an arbitration provision in the rental agreement in lieu of a, uh, a court provision where parties can resolve their matters in court. With arbitration, and this has been updated and, uh, and accepted by federal courts, that you can have a class action waiver inside of an arbitration provision, nice. where you can't do that in a court provision. So we're recommending operators look at arbitration provisions with class action waivers for their mm -hmm. lease agreements, and hopefully that will stem the tide of some of these class actions that we've seen. It, it, it's a good exercise for operators to be looking back at the rental agreements and also making sure they're updated with state laws, which are constantly changing. Yeah, and you're um, uh, counsel for the National Self-Storage Association. Do the state associations provide leases, and might they have these updates? Yeah, absolutely. The mm -hmm. state associations are just great groups around the country. There's probably about 35 state associations that are in existence, certainly in the bigger metropolitan areas where there's lots of operators. And we've worked with those states to have state standard leases for them to use. Mm -hmm. And those are updated, and those are something that we recommend the operators consider at least looking at it as part of their operations to make sure their documents are updated. Those state associations are great groups. They keep people educated about things. Uh, you know, Vendors have an opportunity to talk about their products and services. So it's a, it's a great exercise to have those associations in place. Yeah. And let's talk about some of the other issues, uh, legal issues that operators might want to know about. And one is you mentioned email. Yeah. So what's been great about, uh, this is an effort by the National Association as well as, as the state associations to modernize these state lien laws. And what's interesting is that a lot of these lien laws that allow this uh, sort of the governing laws of self-storage have been in existence since the 80s and they were you know certified mail back then about how, how to send notices to customers but we're talking about a customer base that's transient and people that use self-storage they're moving they're changing jobs they're divorced the you know, a million other reasons why they're in between something while they're using self-storage so sending a certified letter to their last address wasn't successful notice so we've gone back to the states and asked the states to update their state laws to allow for email notification of these defaults and potential lien sales of the property. And the, the um, receiving rate of these notices is much higher than certified mail. As a matter of fact, we used to joke that if you got a certified mail letter in your mailbox, you'd either won the lottery, Publishers Clearinghouse, or you were being sued. <laughs> so you weren't going to get your certified letters. But So the email change has made it a lot easier for operators to communicate with their customers. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to me that certified mail is bad news. Yeah, certified, yeah. <laughs> if it's good news, it comes from uh, FedEx or somebody like that. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so on. If, if, you're, if we do have email, 
is an acceptable notification? Does it have to be some sort of receipt that it was opened? That's a great question. So there are services out there, uh, technology can allow us to verify delivery of those. Uh, there's a company that's in the industry called R-Post that works specifically on verification of these emails. Uh, what's interesting is just, it's funny you mentioned it because under the state laws, since they allowed email, they require some proof of receipt of an email, whereas in a lot of other laws, they didn't even require receipt. So they've allowed the modernization for emails, but they've added in that piece where you have to show that the email was sent to the tenant's email address. And opened? Or Not necessarily sent? open. That's okay. the choice of the, of the tenant if they want to open their email. Right. We can only go so far. We're letting them yeah. know that they're in trouble, there's a default, and they need to respond to that email. But if you look back at the uh, certified mail, that was also the recipient's decision if they wanted to accept that. Absolutely. And it, it, if you remember those green cards that went with certified mail, yeah. some these little green cards would get lost in the mail and sometimes they never even get back to the yeah. operators. These days you can track those email receipts instantaneously. Yeah. Well, we mentioned it, bad news for certified mail. I, I hired an attorney to write a nasty gram to someone I was going to file a complaint or sued against. And, uh, and I found out the attorney sent it by FedEx. And I was furious. I'm like, FedEx is good news. I want the certified mail going out. What about towing? Is that an issue for operators? Yeah, so again, in modernizing these state lien laws, it's really interesting. A lot of these operators rent their spaces for cars and boats and RVs on their properties. We see this especially around lake areas or, or beach areas where people have, have boats and they need to store them somewhere. So self-storage has become a great area for cars and boats and RVs. Uh, the problem is when people didn't pay their rent, they'd have to go through the lien process on a car, boat, or RV, which requires a titling process with the Department of Motor Vehicles. And if you've ever been in front of the Department of Motor Vehicles, it can be quite frustrating standing in line, waiting for the proper paperwork, just going through that process. So we heard from operators they wanted a simpler resolution. And the truth is towing companies who do this every day dealing with title for vehicles that they take is a much better company or much better industry to handle uh, the vehicle registration and titling process for abandoned vehicles. So we've updated a number of state lien laws so that an operator who has a defaulting tenant can simply call a registered licensed towing company, have them tow the property off the lot, doesn't lose their right to pursue the debt, they've just given up their collateral and the vehicle and boat goes away to the towing yard. And it, it gives the operator back their space to be able to rent to a paying tenant. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have to have that uh, tow company sign on the property? Well, that's a, it's a great question. For areas that were it's sort of public parking areas, you would want those signs because there's a risk people could leave their cars and they should be towed. Mm -hmm. But when you're at a tenant at a self-storage facility and you rent a space, the lease agreement notifies you of the risk of towing if you don't pay your rent. So you don't need the, the signs for each space like you would outside of a restaurant. Okay, so you think tenants read the leases then? <laughs> uh, we're hoping that they do and they understand not only their responsibilities, but their rights. Yeah, well, I hope they do as well. Um, what, in your view, being a lawyer, uh, is the benefit for viewers and listeners to be a member of the National Self-Storage Association? I, I do like to plug this. I mean, it's strength in numbers. I mean, and we are a great industry but we're divided. Um, only about 10 or 12% of the industry is governed by the REITs, the operators that, uh, that, that own these national companies that are publicly traded that own facilities. Um, another small sector is uh, owned by large companies that are not publicly traded. Mm -hmm. The rest of the business, 
the multitude, a majority of the business are mom and pops that run, that run from one to five facilities. And they need a place to be able to go and get education and work with other operators to make sure they're doing the best they can to run their businesses. And they have the opportunity to, to learn and make sure they're doing things right. So we are big believers in association efforts by bringing members together, learning together, teaching best practices to stay out of trouble. And as our membership has grown in these state and national association efforts, we've seen lawsuits go down, we've seen success for the operators by staying out of trouble, and they just generate more revenue and more growth because they're learning how to do things the right way. So we're, we're big fans of, of associations and the, the effort of bringing people together for grassroots support for, for an association. Yeah, well, it makes sense. So what's the next big event for the National Association? Uh, the National Self Storage Association holds its national conference. Where else but in Las Vegas? <laughs> Vegas, uh, and that that's held in the, the fall of every year. So come on down to Las the Wages, National Nevada. Self Storage Association meeting in Vegas. It's a great show. Uh, thousands of people attend. Uh, vendors are there with the latest and greatest for the industry in terms of technology. And there's people like me that talk to the group and explain some of the things to keep them out of trouble. Yeah, when is that coming up? Uh, I, it's in September, uh, September, right after Labor Day. It's the week after okay. Labor Day. Well, excellent. Well, it should be fun, and uh, uh, we'll try to make it. I know uh, Graham, who uh, leads our self-storage division uh, nationally, will be there, and uh, hope he didn't lose his wages. <laughs> Scott, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on thanks, the show. Thanks, Michael. I very much appreciate it. And thank you for joining us out there on the radio stations and iTunes and YouTube and the show website. We certainly appreciate hearing from you, connecting with you, commenting and sharing. Uh, let us know what you think. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Real Crowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Build Out, marketing for your brokerage. Barnes Creative Studios, commercial real estate video production.